Hey everyone and welcome back to another Mandalorian breakdown. It's been over two years and I can't express how happy I am to be watching the show again with all of you guys. Major shout out to everyone who attended the watch party with over 6,000 live viewers. I had a great time, it was great to get you all back in there and to just chill out and have some fun. So going forwards we will be doing Mandalorian watch parties and then we will be doing the Bad Batch watch parties in the same stream. So they were really fun to do and I can't wait until next week till we do them again. So tonight's breakdown is about the Mandalorian season three, episode one. We have a few things to discuss here and some things to explain. So let's get started. Now, if you have watched the book of Boba Fett, then you're all caught up. But if you haven't, then this episode does do a tiny little bit of a recap. So you don't really have to watch it. But of course, it does help. As we begin the first episode of The Mandalorian Season 3, we get the armorer crafting a new Mandalorian helmet. Pastel, green and blue with a gold trim. Mandalorians all have different helmets depending on their preference and title. So she walks out to the beachfront as the other Mandalorians stand in a line, ceremoniously welcoming a young Mandalorian boy into their creed of Mandalorians, which are the children of the Watch. The same as Din Djarin. These are the ones who cannot remove their helmets. We also see Paz Vizsla there amongst them who helped Mando in the first season. He's pretty cool with his Gatling gun. He's also a direct descendant of Tar Vizsla, of House Vizsla. I assume this because they have the same last name. Now, Tar Vizsla was the first Jedi Mandalorian thousands of years ago, who I believe Grogu will follow suit eventually. He also wielded the Darksaber. Now, this creed is different from other Mandalorian sects, in which a Mando cannot remove one's helmet in the presence of any sentient being. So anyone who's alive, essentially. As they say their creed and swear on the names of their ancestors that they shall walk the way of the Mandalore, a massive sea monster emerges from the ocean, giving major Jurassic Park meets Star Wars vibes. It's not looking good. They put up a gallant fight. It's really cool. We see all their weaponries. They work together. However, it's no use. Until, of course, Din Djarin shows up and blasts it to pieces in his Naboo N1 Starfighter, saving them all. It's always fun seeing this ship. I always have a great time. It takes me right back to the prequels. Seeking retribution for his goodwill here, he walks into the cave of the Armorer, where she says, you removed your helmet, you are no longer a Mandalorian. If we remember from the book of Boba Fett, he told her this, that he removed his helmet, and she says, you're no longer a Mandalorian for this. The reason behind this is because they're very traditional. They're not like the new Mandalorians like Bo-Katan, who follow a much more relaxed ideology and much less superstitious than Mando and the Children of the Watch. I also believe they do this to protect themselves by hiding their numbers, for I think it's very hard to track numbers by helmets as they all can look similar, but it's very easy to count by faces. She says redemption is no longer possible since the destruction of Mandalore. Now, Mandalore was the homeworld of the Mandalorians for anyone new here. However, it was destroyed in the bombing and purge of the Empire. It is believed to be full of radiation and poison now. She says that he can't be redeemed because the planet is destroyed and poisoned, therefore he cannot do the one thing that can redeem him to his Mandalorian sect, which is to bathe in the waters beneath the mines of Mandalore. Now, there's really nothing special that we know of about the waters beneath the mines of Mandalore, other than providing Beskar however many years ago. And if it still does exist, then it's very polluted and very poisoned, so I'm wondering how Din Djarin is going to get in there. So he shows her a piece of crystal from Mandalore that Jawas collected from a random traveler. She is stunned to see it as it's impossible for anyone to take anything from Mandalore, as setting foot on the planet would kill them as it is poisoned. 
Clearly, it hasn't been since he now has this proof. But she says that this proves that Mandalore's surface has been crystallized by fusion rays from all the bombing from the Night of a Thousand Tears. So this makes me wonder, how is Mando even going to step foot on that place if, first of all, it's poisoned, and if there are fusion rays that have crystallized the entire planet, how is he even going to break the surface to get to the mines and then bathe in the waters? It's going to be pretty cool to see the planet, that's definitely for sure. It's going to be very crystallized and essentially like a massive kyber crystal. So Mando argues and says it clearly exists and that's how someone got this. So if I go there and bathe in those waters, then I'll be accepted back, right? She says, this is the way. And so he has his approval and we begin our journey. So Mando leaves to Navarro 7 in hyperspace and as Grogu looks out the window during hyperspace, which is always super relaxing, he notices massive space whales traveling with them in hyperspace. Now these are the Pergil. We saw these guys in Star Wars Rebels and they helped Ezra and took him to a unknown place, which is where the Ahsoka show I think picks up as she's going to try and find him However, Ezra is also with Grand Admiral Thrawn. I like how they showed this. It was a nice scene and it connects Ezra, Ahsoka, and Thrawn to the Mandalorian timeline. Maybe we'll see them in this season of The Mandalorian. Maybe we'll see them in Ahsoka's show only. I guess time will tell. So they head to Navarro 7 and we meet up with Grief Karga again as he lands down and the town looks very clean and renovated. Lots of life. Merchants, aliens from all over, Kowakian lizard monkeys, you know, Salacious B. Crumb from Jabba's Palace. It's buzzing with droids and beings. It looks great. Very Star Warsy, unlike, sadly, some other shows like Kenobi, which barely had many aliens in it. We come up to the IG-11 droid statue where his parts have been salvaged as much as possible, as he stands as a beacon of hope to all for his efforts. High Magistrate Karga comes to meet Mando and they go to his office. So clearly he's promoted and we get some talking going on. Grogu uses the force to spin his chair, which is the same thing that Yoda did in Revenge of the Sith at the end of the film on Polis Masa when Padme was giving birth, after Anakin and Obi-Wan fought. Albeit, Yoda was doing this not for fun, he just had to turn to be able to talk to Obi-Wan or Bail Organa as his feet are much too short to touch the ground. So it's cute that, you know, Grogu's using this as like a fun thing. He's using the force to collect one of the candies on Grief Karga's table, and this is, of course, portraying the fact that he is much stronger with the force now. And if you saw that interview with John Favreau, he did mention that Grogu has been with Luke training for two years. I guess we all missed the memo on that one because it was really impossible to tell that that was two years of time. And if it was, I would love to see what happened during that time. So Cargo tries to sell Mando some land there and asks why he's still with baby Yoda. You know, he did the job, he should have just moved on. As Mando gives him the rundown, or in other words, what I'd like to say, you know, given the audience who aren't caught up with the Book of Boba Fett, the scoop and replay. I feel like Austin Powers did a great job of this and broke the fourth wall, but uh, you know, every show kind of has to do this to get people caught up. We learn that Navarro 7 is now a major trade path of the Hydean Way. The Hydean Way was first mentioned in the Clone Wars and is essentially, it's a popular highway lane in the galaxy to get from place to place, which is a very, very condensed way of explaining it. Pirates arrive and we hope to see Hondo Onaka, but sadly we don't. We see Vane, who is this weak way pirate, and he tries to get into the school, which used to be a saloon, and he's basically ordering people around to give him drinks. Doing typical pirate stuff, you know, bullying, being unreasonable. 
They have a standoff when the situation isn't diffused, and Grief shoots Vane's hand as they pull a fast one, and Din and Grief take them all out, except for Vane. So this was a nice scene. It was a very Clint Eastwood, John Wayne style, where we get the close-ups of the face, you know, we get the standoff, and we have to remember that, you know, The Mandalorian is a space western. So I really appreciate how John and Dave have, you know, really brought that back to the big screen in a more modern way, because westerns are really amazing films. They walk off and Mando gets offered a job as a ranger when he asks, what about Cara Dune? Where it's revealed that she was promoted to special forces when she brought Moff Gideon in. Now, look, of course, this is a better send off for Cara than saying, you know, she's dead or something like that. Something disrespectful. But I still wish that she was in the show and that Gina didn't get fired. Anyways, Moff Gideon was sent to a New Republic war tribunal. So he's on trial. And I'm wondering if he has any higher ups there, maybe some people that he worked with or maybe some crooked people and he'll be able to get out of that situation easier than expected. You know, maybe like a Terry Silver style way of bribing people or just being powerful. So Mando says he wants to put IG-11 back together and Grief Karga scoffs in disbelief because IG is just destroyed and basically half now. So Mando hotwires him back to power in his half Darth Maul form where IG-11 wakes up miraculously and this shows us Mando's amazing circuitry work and his engineering ability to do things that even you know, Grief Karga's people couldn't do. IG reverts back to his original programming and turns red trying to kill baby Yoda. When Mando shoots at him repeatedly, which does nothing, IG's shell is impervious to blaster fire. It's one of the reasons why he's one of the best bounty hunters. The droid of grief Karga drops a heavy statue bust on IG and it crushes its head. So they take the remains to the Anzellans, aka Babu Frick's species from the Rise of Skywalker. These guys are pretty funny. They're fantastic fixers, yet they need a new memory circuit, which is very hard to find. So Mando vows to find the part and bring it to him where Grogu tries to take the Enzelin and maybe eat him or play with him or something like that, and it's a very funny scene. It shows just how tiny these guys are, you know, perfect for fixing stuff and wire work with their tiny hands. And they get mad and they call they call baby Yoda bad baby. So it's pretty cool that IG-11 is gonna make a comeback and he's gonna join the crew once again. I think uh, he was a really cool character, so I'm, I'm glad to see him return. Mando takes off into space as he teaches Grogu how to fly the ship, sort of, until he's followed by Vane and pirates. So we see awesome space chase scenes here. These reminded me of the prequels and the original trilogy. Actually, the original trilogy quite a bit, I gotta say. It felt like Star Wars once again, and it was great to see the N1 Naboo Starfighter spinning, just as Anakin did in episode one. Mando uses the advantage of the ship's maneuverability and speed to decimate all of them. The thing with the Naboo N1 is it's really like a Lamborghini. Like, it just is super fast, super agile, but that also makes it very difficult to drive because the slightest touch will be very responsive. But at this point, Mando knows how to use it really well to its advantages. When Vane leads him back to the captain's ship, it's kind of game over, but this dude is literally Swamp Thing, and it's a very Pirates of the Caribbean vibe here. Mando blasts away to safety, and the lesson here is never trust a pirate. Sevy. Heading to his final destination of the episode, Mando and Grogu arrive to Kalevala. This is another planet in the Mandalorian system and home to House Kree's as they come to a Mandalorian castle. Bo-Katan is kicking her feet up on her empty throne, very alone. They gave her a new wig this season and it looks very much like her animated form. I think she looks fantastic. Props to Katie Sackhoff, she did a great job acting once again 
as Bo-Katan, just like she did a great job in her animated form in The Clone Wars and Rebels. She's super down with dumps and melancholy because when she arrived back to her people without the Darksaber after The Mandalorian Season 2, she lost all respect and her authority to lead them was gone. She's very mad about it. She blames the Children of the Watch and all factions before it for dividing their people, the Mandalorians, instead of helping to unite them. Now, she is one of the new Mandalorians who don't care much for such trivial, uptight traditions like forbidding one from removing helmets or, you know, taking a bath in the waters below the mines of Mandalore in order to redeem yourself or something like that. She just really thinks those things are ridiculous. These new Mandalorians have a much more chillaxed idea of being a Mandalorian. And in turn, I think this makes them much easier to deal with, but also it, there aren't so many rules and, and traditions to abide by, which can of course be good, but can of course be bad. She calls him a fool for his journey to Mandalore to reclaim his name as a Mandalorian by bathing in the water. She says it's just superstition. This shows us the difference between all of the factions. She sees the others as just superstitious beings who believe in nonsensical made-up beliefs. And these, you know, factions are always warring against each other. Now, before the purge on Mandalore, they were always blowing up the planet just in civil war. So if that wasn't enough, you know, the Empire came along and just destroyed the planet completely and purged it. She says the only special thing about the mines are that they supplied Beskar to their ancestors. So she tells him that the fountain he seeks is below the civic center of Sundari. Now, she says goodbye, Din Djarin, in a very nefarious, dark tone. Either she gave him some whack GPS location where he's going to get killed, or she really thinks the planet is poisoned and he won't make it out alive. Either way, what I think is going to happen is she'll probably go there to scoop up the Darksaber from his lifeless body and rule Mandalore once more. The way she said goodbye with that jealous and angry tone really makes her a questionable character now. Is she an ally? Is she neutral? Or is she a foe? I guess we'll find out the next episode. So Mando in episode two will now head to Mandalore, unless of course he stops for another side quest and tries to get, you know, the circuits for IG-11, which I really hope he just goes straight to Mandalore, maybe gets in some trouble, finds out that the planet is very habitable, it's not poisoned like everyone was led to believe, and goes in the springs and perhaps realizes that the Empire is actually having a cloning facility there and they made up this whole thing about the planet being poisoned so nobody would disturb them. As we learned in the new Bad Batch episode tonight, which the breakdown will come right after this video, we learned that the Empire actually had different cloning facilities on different worlds. And this could very well be why Mandalore is actually said to be poisoned when maybe it's not. That's my theory on the next episode going forwards and the next few episodes after The Mandalorian, perhaps the idea behind Mandalore being the way it is, or at least said to be the way it is. Let me know what you guys think. Thank you so much for watching this breakdown. Leave a like on your way out, and please comment down below what your theories are going forwards into the second episode. See you all on Twitter at RealSWTheory and Instagram. Until the next episode, remember, the Force will be with you always. Thank you.